0: Welcome back to Ether Hour, everybody. I am your host, Conrad Franz, joined, as always, by Dimitri Kalyagin. This episode, we are recording in the midst of the Israeli-Gaza War. Of course, this also occurs in the midst of the Ukraine War, so we very much are in the midst of World War III, World War Now, as we like to call it here at WWN. But this episode, we're going to be talking about kind of contextualizing some of the stuff going on in the Holy Land. With some of the holy sites, of course, the most recent news involves the bombing of St. Porphyrios Orthodox Church, uh, which is underneath the Jerusalem Patriarchate in the Holy Land. And, you know, there's been you know dozens of casualties. Christians have been killed there. And we want to kind of contextualize all of that in the context of the history between the civilizational relationship, I guess, between Christendom... And, you know, Zionism and proto-Zionism and, you know, world Jewry and some of these other these other entities that are coming more and more into play in this world, especially as here in America and in the West, um, you know, Christian Zionists and uh, other quote-unquote, you know, conservatives really try to paint this as a, you know, they kind of try to paint this as a civilizational struggle between specifically Islam in the West with, you know, Israel being this outpost of Western values, especially, you know, we've seen people defending, you know, immediately rushing to call the attack on the church a Hamas misfire, all of these sorts of things. So we have a lot of history to talk to you about, whether it comes from Ukraine and the early empire, or 1948 when, in in fact, Zionists collaborated with communists, Bolsheviks, terrorists who had killed Christians, killed imperial officials in the Russian empire, collaborated with them actually to start the Zionist entity, and in many ways, that involved the displacement of Christians there at the time. So, Dimitri, how are you doing? What are you thinking about this episode? Uh, what are you gonna? What are we bringing to the table?
1: Yeah, doing great, Conrad. Um, it's it's a very pertinent and important episode, I think, to speak about the events in the Holy Land. Uh, you know, in the past, as well as how it ties into the present, it should, for for those not aware, it should, of course, uh, contextualize some of the primary issues we see today. Because I think moving forward, in terms of the regular World War Now episode, and just the news you will hear, it will be about just as about as explicit as it gets. I think the events in the Holy Land are becoming more and more fiery. But let's just mention just the the history, right? Because again, the state of Israel came to be in 1947, of course, the early 1947-1948 Israeli war for independence against the Arabs. Now, if you open up a quick map for you know for a context, you look at the United Nations partition of the state of Israel in 1947. You'll notice that most of actually the holy places, including you know Nazareth, Bethlehem, Jerusalem, even places like Jericho and some of the uh, you know monasteries in the desert, actually all fall into the domain of what you would call the early Arab Palestinian states. So in fact, the territory given over to the state of Israel and the Jews, according to the initial plan, was was in fact you know it would it would be more or less the the coast of the Mediterranean and the territories not so much in you know not so much of interest to the Orthodox Christian Church. So, from an Orthodox Christian perspective, uh, a lot of our I guess if the nineteen forty seven plan was to be followed, we would have lived alongside the Palestinians and Arabs a lot more closely than that with the. Zionist Jews now what should be said is that yeah as conrad mentioned the early collaboration the state of israel of course collaborated with the stalinist communist government in russia and stalin of course was you know a big fan of the state of israel especially early on 1947 48 and he had the idea of displacing a lot of the old Russian monastics, as well as Russian priests who lived in the Holy Land and who had these essentially Russian imperial, you know, you can almost say monarchist, really old school Orthodox ideas. You can, I mean, to this day, a lot of the, you know, Russian Orthodox folks in the Holy Land still hold these ideas. This was not at all um, needed by the Stalinist government. And of course, Stalinist government was also interested in having an ally in the Middle East. Perhaps this has ties to some of the past um, Zionist you know, Zionist theorists who, you know, were from the Russian Empire and from those Jewish communities. But I think we'll speak about those ties later on. But Stalin, nevertheless, organized a, an envoy of essentially f- future early KGB agents and KVD agents to travel to Jerusalem to take over certain Russian Orthodox property. There. The main property, of course, we're speaking about is the really large Orthodox Christian cathedral called the Cathedral of the Holy Trinity. It's actually not in the old city of Jerusalem, but it's in uh, it's close to one of the Jerusalem train stations in the, in the New Jerusalem city. This cathedral was built in the 1860s, and I guess the main story which exemplifies the collaboration between the early Israeli state in 1948 and the communist Soviet authorities, right, which allegedly made peace with the Orthodox Church. But we all understand that was you know more or less temporary and. For political gain in Russia, again for defeating Hitler and the Third Reich, which it was successful at doing, of course. But what happened in the Holy Land was was quite rough. In 1948, the newly victorious Israeli Israeli state, its first move against Orthodox Christians in the Holy Land, and you know, despite pressuring pressuring the Greek communities there, it it decided to take some of this Russian Orthodox property, which the Russians have purchased from the uh Ottoman Turks and the Arab Palestinians, you know, decades ago, legally and completely for a fair price. And it was the land wasn't stolen at all. They decided to give all of this property over to the USSR. And so the main cathedral in Jerusalem at the time, the the keeper of the keys for this Jerusalem, he was a, a monk named Father um, he was brother Methodius at the time. He refused to give the keys to some of these KGB agents as well as IDF military men. And this is 1948, by the way. And Father Methodius was beaten very heavily, especially essentially tortured. He he wouldn't give up the location of the keys to the cathedral and all the... The cathedral had a few miracle-working icons too, so Father Methodius refused to give the keys to to these... um, to these people from the USSR as well as the Israeli military law enforcement. He was beaten heavily. His legs ended up taking the brunt of the punishment. His bones were completely broken. His his lower legs, from, from the stories I heard, down from the fires all the way down, were completely deformed to the, to the point where his feet were completely not even of a shape that he could wear regular shoes into the future. The local nuns and the Orthodox Christians needed to essentially for their for their priest and a right they needed to weave special shoes that would fit that would um, that would measure up to his deformed deformed legs. So he was completely maimed by the by these particular people. The keys were stolen from his house. The cathedral came over uh, of course the Soviet authority later transferred it to the Moscow Patriarchate, but the Israeli the Israeli state collaborated in this, you know, what you would call as what you would call confessorship and Father mephodius was later, yeah, again, Father mephodius was also, they threw boiling water over him during the process of torture, so he was greatly maimed and thrown into a ditch. Father mephodius frankly, he stayed in the Holy Land for another, I believe, this, cause this was 1948, he stayed and he passed away in 1997, so he lived for another, you can say, 50 years in the Holy Land. He was a great confessor and a very, a very, pious, even a fool for Christ at one point in his life, a very notable figure, probably a future saint as well, given some of the stories, um, especially some of the stories my father told me about him. Uh, so he was my father's, uh, spiritual, uh, spiritual confessor at a time. And whenever my, and this is not just the story my dad told me, but some of the other people from the Holy Land who ever met father Methodius who would live at the Hebron monastery of the Oak, or even the, uh, mount elion mount of olives uh russian orthodox monastery outside of jerusalem father Methodius, during confession he would you know show some of his clairvoyant gifts and we speak about clairvoyance a lot but father Methodius, in his in his late years would essentially read your mind during confession and he would tell you sins which you may have forgotten or perhaps sins which you know you you were about to say they were right on the tip of your tongue and he would start talking about your sin so he would essentially uh, you know, exhibit some of these holy gifts given to him by the grace of God. Very, um, very pious man. And he passed away in 1997. But his story, Father Methodius, this great holy man, his story essentially exemplifies what it, what it was like to be an Orthodox Christian when the state of Israel came to be in a very, and I'm sure the Greeks experienced the same level of stress as the Russians, where a lot of this property was either given over to the Soviets under pressure taken off, you know, monks were beaten, priests were beaten in collaboration with the Israeli state, which the Palestinians never did, in fact. And so it does kind of show that, yeah, it was very shaky and stressful. And to this day, the attitude of a lot of the Russian nuns in the Holy Land is, you know, a lot of the Russian nuns, a lot of the Russian monks, and even I would say the Greek, especially now that the Church of Gaza has been bombed, I think a lot of the Orthodox Christians are experiencing this high level of anxiety and stress because the state of Israel is capable of unpredictable things. And now, what from what we've seen, of atrocities too of a mass scale. And naturally, the Muslim Palestinians already knew this for personal experience, but this is the, you know, the Orthodox Christians now very much aware of what this particular Zionist entity is capable of.
0: That's a fantastic story about Father Methodius. A truly, you know, what an enduring... You know, spiritual father to even remain there after having been treated so poorly by, I mean, people who you had already heard of, you know, martyring your friends and ancestors at the beginning of the Soviet Union, only to then, you know, be, you know, be beaten and abused by those same authorities in collusion with, like, you know, a literal Jewish authority, the first Jewish authority that would have come to power since you know, since thousands and thousands of years ago at this point. You know, he could say he's literally a confessor of the of the Judeo-Bolshevik yoke, like in the truest sense of the word, the Zionist Bolshevik yoke even. Because again, eventually the Soviet Union viewed Israel as an outpost of, of United States anti-Soviet, you know, interests, so they kind of turned on the explicit support for Israel as they had at the beginning. But it just goes to show you, and when we're behind the paywall, we're going to really take you back into history, starting back even in the 1820s, and proving the, the just constant war that this culture, this civilization, this people from which Zionism comes—you know, this this Talmudic religion, this group—it uh, it breeds this uh, this true anti-civilizational, anti-monarchical, anti-Christian attitude that you know waged war with the Christian Empire of the times, Tsarist Russia, you know, until it ultimately collapsed, and then spread its uh, tentacles to the Holy Land. You know, was able to give itself back. You know, it's you know, it it the, the land they feel that they deserve, and then it quickly drove out the Christian vestiges that were there. I talk about this on my appearance on the Stu Peters show this past week, you know, this is being recorded October 20th. The Holy Land was much more Christian before the war, Dimitri mentioned, 1947, 1948, before, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of Christians were driven out. So many convents, Catholic, Orthodox, Anglican, you know, monasteries, churches were destroyed in that war you know both sides would often you know station troops in in these buildings so that when they were destroyed by the other side it wasn't as you know damaging to the mosques or synagogues you know cuz the churches are less viable especially of course to the Jews who you know the Jews even do view the muslims more positively than the christians because by many interpretations they actually view the muslims they since muslims don't do images and they aren't trinitarian they view them as you know non-idolaters in their mind so in many ways the destruction of churches is viewed as destruction of idols For them explicitly which is you know you hear that you've seen clips of this being talked about on the streets of israel but you know we're about to get a little more spicy here so i think we'll we'll see you on the other side of the paywall but but yeah we're gonna we're about to go back in time a little bit
1: thank you for listening to the free preview of the 20th eighth hour episode to hear the full uncensored discussion of israel and palestine subscribe to our premium Substack. Upon subscribing, you will also receive access to all our previous 8-Hour episodes, as well as our full-length World War Now articles. Your support goes a long way. We really appreciate it. God bless.